Well, we are really glad to be able to wrap up this series today as we've gone through this teaching on radical because it has been something that has challenged every person that uh, I've been able to talk with about it. And it's been personally challenging for my wife and I as we have reflected and gone through even the book by David Platt called Radical, uh, which we got a lot of our inspiration from. Uh, just a very challenging uh, thought on what does this life look like? What does this Christ-centered life look like? In other words, if we say we are following Jesus, um, are we really serious enough about this to take Jesus at his word, to take him seriously? Or are we just casually following Jesus and just kind of picking the things we like and choosing the severity of seriousness in which we want to take what Jesus says? But when we look at Scripture and when we actually take seriously what Christ says, man, let me tell you, Jesus says some tough stuff, does he not? He says some hard things. I mean, there says some very inspirational things, sure. It says some very encouraging things as well. But Jesus says some very challenging things as well. And are we taking all those things with the same degree of seriousness? And I hope that through the series that you've been challenged to learn what am I to say yes to God about? What is the thing he's asking me to do? What is the thing that he's requiring of me? So we're going to wrap up this series with a message entitled, Your Move. Because we truly believe that now, that as we've gone through this teaching series, that it's really our move now. What are we going to do about this? What is truly the next step? I pulled up some statistics for us just to kind of go through to give us an idea of what's happening in the world outside of Sheboygan County, outside of even the context of the United States. And did you know that nearly half of the world's population, more than 3 billion people, live on less than $2.50 a day? that more than 1.3 billion live in extreme poverty, and that is less than $1.25 a day. One billion children worldwide are living in poverty, according to UNICEF. 22,000 children die each day due to poverty. 805 million people worldwide do not have enough food to eat. Food banks are especially important in providing food for people that can't afford it themselves. More than 750 million people lack adequate access to clean drinking water. Diarrhea caused by inadequate drinking water, sanitation, and hand hygiene kills an estimated 842,000 people every year globally from diarrhea. That's a lot of people, 2,300 a day as a matter of fact. In 2011, 165 million children under the age of five were stunted or reduced uh, a rate of growth and development due to chronic malnutrition. Preventable diseases like diarrhea and pneumonia take the lives of two million children a year who are too poor to afford proper treatment. One-fourth of all humans live without electricity. Approximately 1.6 billion people live without electricity. 80% of the world population lives on less than $10 a day. The World Food Program says the poor are hungry and their hunger traps them in poverty. Hunger is the number one cause of death in the world, killing more than HIV, AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis combined. And as I'm reading these stats, I just think about these facts are just one piece of what people all over the world are dealing with that we have a very small concept of. We have a very, very, very small window to actually even understand that, even those of us who may have been to those parts of the world and have seen that and witnessed that, I would doubt that very many of us have actually lived in that. Perhaps there are some of us who have lived in that and grown up in that, 
But it is an issue. And as we look at that, I mean, I think that materialism is a blind spot in America that we're just really blind to. And we miss that there is a bigger world out there that God loves all of us. And God has sent his son to die for the whole world, not just those that we interact with and not just America. Amen, somebody? I think that we're really confused as a nation sometimes when it comes to understanding generosity, need, and our responsibility. Because Jesus was very clear to his radical followers. He was very clear to his disciples about the value system of heaven and the types of values that people who claim to be his disciples should have. So let's look at just a few of heaven's values over in Matthew chapter 25, if you have your Bible this morning. You can also follow along on version if you'd like to do that as well. You can always search for a live event there. But uh, let's go over to Matthew 25 and let's look at verse 31. And in context here, Jesus is talking about the second coming. So here's Christ's words in Matthew 25 and verse 31 where he says this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be uh, gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd <clears throat> separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats he will place on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison, and we did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. <clears throat> as I look at the value system here of heaven, I see what Jesus is saying is important in the grand scheme of eternity, through the lens of eternity. Because as we read Jesus' words, any time that he says the kingdom of heaven is like, that means this is important to God, so listen up. And that's really what he's saying. This is the value system of heaven. If you want to know what does God really think is important, any time he says the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he begins to describe it through a parable or a story. It should give us a glimpse into the heart of God to see really what is important. And here, as we read Matthew 25, we see that the overflow of loving God should be loving people. 
Knowing God more is to love what God loves, to hate what God hates, and learning what matters in eternity and those things mattering more to us because we are radically sold out and committed disciples as followers of Jesus should be top priority for you and me. Should be something that you and I want to learn. I want to know what is important to God because I'm radically devoted to being a disciple, a disciplined learner, someone who's fully engaged. I don't want to be one foot in, one foot out. I want to know what really matters to Jesus, what really matters to me as a follower of Him. As someone who is saying, I want to be radical, I want to be sold out, because there is no such thing as a casually committed disciple. A disciple is a disciplined, radical follower of Jesus. Someone who has seen the value in Christ. And as we see the value in Christ, it should draw us to love what God loves, to hate what He hates. And as we see what God loves here, it should compel us to love others the way that God loves us. If we love God, we cannot help but love people. Because if you don't love people, then you don't really know God. Because John 13, 35 says, By this all people will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. This is going to be the calling card <clears throat> of being a disciple. The calling card of a disciple is not church membership. The calling of a disciple, the calling card of a disciple is not Christian jewelry or Christian t-shirts or bumper stickers. It's not how much uh, religious imagery you have in your home. It's not how big of a Bible that you own. What's the calling card of a Christian? It's not even that you have your name foil stamped on your Bible. Nothing wrong with those things, but the calling card of a Christian is this is how everyone's going to know that you're a disciple of Christ. If you have love one for another, if you love people. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. He's saying, listen, this is the calling card. Again, reiterating here this same idea, this same value of heaven. As we see that, man, we get so easily wrapped up in materialism. We get so wrapped up and blinded by the things that we think we need. Just think about when we even say that word need in our context. When we say need, oh, I need this. Oh, man, I really need this. I really need a new leather jacket for my motorcycle, right? I I, oh, man, I, I, I need, you know, um, I, I need some nicer, newer tires for my truck. I need this. I need that. I need a bigger garage to store all my stuff. <clears throat> and we think about need. And I think that in our context, we are really blinded to this idea of materialism and we begin to live in such excess that it actually keeps us a little blinded and pacified to a certain degree from seeing others need and truly extending that type of love because people who are disciples of Jesus live by this principle that eternity matters more it, it's that simple that eternity 
matters more. Matters more than what? Anything. That literally eternity matters more. That I'm living my life through the lens of looking at eternity more than I'm looking at myself. Everything here is temporary. Everything that we experience here on this earth is temporary. And if we are following Jesus, our value system should be lining up more the longer that we follow him, the more that we seek Jesus, the more that we get to know his heart, the more that we serve him, the more that he has, he has our, our, our heart, he's captivated us. And the more that he's captivated us, the more we should be drawn towards this value system of eternity mattering more. Eternity matters so much more than anything else. Go back over to Matthew 25. Let's just hang out there for a minute. Matthew 25. And let's actually jump back to a different parable talking about eternity that actually Jamie shared with us a couple of weeks ago. In Matthew 25 and verse 14, he says, for it's going to be like a man going on a journey. He's talking about heaven again. He's talking about the kingdom. He's talking about the value system of heaven. It's going to be like a man going on a journey who's called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents. Remember, that's a measurement of money. To another two, to another one. Each according to his ability. And then he went away, and he who had received five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. Same thing happened with the guy with two talents. He made two talents more. Verse 18. But he who had received the one talent, he went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents? Here, I've made you five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 22. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. But then he who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, been, who, to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into outer darkness." in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I want us to focus in on someone in this parable. Let's focus in on the master for just a minute. He gave each one of these individuals in this parable a responsibility. He gave each one a gift with the expectation that they would use their gift between now and when the master returned. So there's going to be a period of time where he said, I'm going to go away, but then I'm going to come back, talking about... Christ uh, leaving uh, this earth, empowering his disciples, his radical followers, right? This is the imagery here that he's using, but then he's going to come back. 
He's empowered us with His Spirit. He's given us gifts. He's given us responsibility. And He's going to want to know, what did we do with the things that He gave us, that He empowered us with, with the sphere of influence that we had, with the resources that we were given, with the influence and the affluence that He gave us? What did we do with those things through the lens of the value system of the Master? What did we do with that? And when the master returned, he would be expecting not only what he had given them, but he wanted and expected them to have increased the same as the heart of God and the value system of heaven. The master has given us gifts, resources, abilities, anointing, talent, influence, and he knows we all have limitations. He gets that. That's why he only enables us according to that ability that he knows that we can actually do. So he, he enabled them, each one according to whatever it was, maybe their sphere of influence, maybe their level of education, maybe their, uh, their, their current surroundings, maybe uh, the, the, the limitations of their population, whatever the case was, he knew what they could accomplish, which is why they were put in the spot they were put in. Are you hearing me this morning? They were put in a spot because the master knew they could be effective in that spot. He wasn't going, oh, you never heard the master say five talents is better than two. You never heard that, did you? You never heard the master marvel more over the guy who had the five talents and turned it into ten more than he did over the guy who had two that turned it into four. He didn't go, oh, wow, this guy turned it into ten. That's awesome. Really? Only four? Okay, I guess that's a passing grade. No, you didn't hear that. He got the exact same commendation from the master, did he not? Because he used what he had. He used what was in the scope of his ability and what he had been entrusted with. He had been entrusted with the talents. And he used them in a way that would please the master. He did something with what he had been given. And so in other words, God's not going to be unreasonable with his expectations because he knows what he has empowered and enabled us to do. But at his second coming or the end of our lives on this earth, whichever comes first, there is an expectation from us, not only of good stewardship, not for us to just take care of ourselves, but for us to increase. That means fruitfulness that we know the master is coming back and that we used what we had to make the biggest impact for him. Because our love for God and our love for people should drive the way we live because eternity matters more than our comfort. But are we living in such a way where we're prioritizing eternity over our comfort? Are we living like eternity matters more are we, are we understanding our place of responsibility? Have you thought and prayed and asked God to help you to see what your role of responsibility is at your job, with your family, in your neighborhood? Have you thought about what your role and responsibility is as an American? Have you thought about what your role and responsibility is as a member of this church? In regards to eternity, have you, have you thought about that through the lens of eternity, not just the lens of now, not through the lens of my comfort, not through the lens of what makes sense, not through the lens of what's rational, not through the lens of what maybe I can do now and what I could do later. I've got this much time. You know, I think I could, I could make myself this uncomfortable. 
I could make myself just a little uncomfortable to maybe go and carve out a little bit of time for my neighbor. Maybe I could do that as long as I still have time to do all the things I want to do. If that's the way we're living, we're living with the big blind spot. And we're missing the mark. We're missing living this radical life that Jesus has called us to. Because folks, can I tell you that eternity does matter more than our comfort. If we're telling Jesus, I'll get with you after, and I'll serve you after, and I'll do this thing you're putting on my heart to do after, all of my, all of my things that I have priority with, my comfort, my leisure, my time, my, 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 and then I'll get to you, Jesus. Then I'll start loving people. Then I'll start serving the world. Then I'll start living like eternity matters. But let me get all this stuff handled first. I think there's a parable about that. Where there was a guy who said, Jesus, I'll follow you. But first let me go home and take care of all this stuff. And Jesus said, if you put your hand to the plow and then you turn away he said, you're not fit for service in my kingdom. You're not seeing the value in Christ. Eternity doesn't really matter more than your comfort. Your comfort comes first. And Jesus said, that's not what a radical disciple looks like. Jesus said that a radical disciple is someone who will, will forsake everything and go and follow Him to take up the cross. The cross is not comfortable you see, the problem is, is that we'll say, yes, Jesus, I'll take up my cross, but can I have a shoulder pad to carry it? Can, can, I have, can I have like a lighter cross? Anyone got a lighter cross for me to carry? This one's kind of splintery and, and heavy. I, I, I want to pick a different cross. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll pick this one. It's easy. No, he said, take up your cross and follow me. In other words, a disciple of Jesus takes that up and inconveniences themselves and makes themselves willingly uncomfortable because they find more value in Christ and their treasure is not here on this earth, but it is in heaven. And we live that way. So here's the question. Are we looking to Jesus for advice that we can accept or reject? Or are we looking to Him to be our Lord? Because radical people, radical followers are people who say yes to radical living because Jesus is worth it. And they have found more value in Christ. Over in Mark chapter 10 and verse 17, Scripture says this, and as he was setting out on his journey, talking about Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, well, if that's the criteria, then teacher, I've kept all these from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Huh. He said this, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. But disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Huh. You see, 
when I read that scripture, I think, man, Jesus, what does radical living look like? What are you calling us to do? Well, Jesus didn't tell everybody to do that. You're right. I'll concede to that. Jesus didn't tell everybody to go sell all their possessions and give it to the poor and then go follow him. Jesus did not say it. You're absolutely right. But if Jesus not commanding all of his followers to sell all of their possession gives you comfort, I think that that only gives comfort to the kind of people that he would actually issue that command to. Because Jesus never intended to be a voice amongst a group of counselors in which you choose to select what you like and toss what you don't. It seems that we live in a day and age where we just love to heap upon ourselves so many counselors who will tell us all of these things and we will seek out for ourselves all of these counselors until we find somebody that agrees with our position. And we include Jesus in that group of counselors. It's like Jesus can be one of those counselors. Like we love, I mean, Jesus is definitely in the group and he's leading the pack, but he's just another voice to most of us in the group of counselors. Because when we hear Jesus say something difficult, we go, hang on a second, let me go check with the other guys. Let me go defer to my chambers. Let me go see what everyone else will say. Because that, don't really uh, like that. So let me go, let me go check with another guy. And then we'll find a preacher who will say it the way we want it said. We'll find a friend who says it the way we want it said. We'll find some book that's written it the way we want to read it and the way we want to hear it said. And we'll go seek something. And actually, Paul told Timothy this was going to happen. He said that there's going to be people who are going to look for teachers and heap them upon themselves, who are going to scratch their itching ears. They're going to tickle their ears with all the things that they want to, they want to hear. But Jesus never intended just to be another voice in your group of approved counselors. When he says things to us to show us the value of the kingdom, we have to stop and ask ourselves, what does that mean? We have to stop and ask, what does, what does that mean in light of eternity? What does that mean in light of following Jesus? What does that mean in light of me being a radical follower? Am I taking this seriously? Yeah, you're right. Jesus may not be calling all of us to sell all of our possessions and give them to the poor. That's not what I'm trying to insinuate this morning. But at the same time, maybe there is someone in here that he would call to do that. I don't know. Maybe he's calling you to make some adjustments to the way you live so that you can prioritize eternity over your own comfort because maybe your comfort has become a God to you. Maybe your comfort has become a goal and you're not living with eternity in mind. You're not living life through the lens of eternity. Maybe you have gotten off track with some of the things that he put on your heart years ago that he wanted you to be in a position to be able to do and, and you've gotten off track with, with staying focused on those things because other things have come along that have been dangled in front of your eyes that have looked more important or shinier or brighter 
and you've allocated the resource of your time, your talent, and your treasure in a direction that has become very self-fulfilling rather than kingdom missional living with eternity at the forefront. Maybe it's your attitude towards certain things. Whatever he's requiring, whatever he's calling, whatever he's stirring in you, it's not just another voice for you to listen to and select what you like and toss what you don't. Go over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we'll look at verse 6. Remember, this is Paul the Apostle, and he's giving instructions to this young ministry leader here, Timothy. In 1 Timothy 6 and chapter 6, he's writing this letter to him, and he tells him this. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We could stop right there. Godliness with contentment is great gain. He says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and they've pierced themselves with many pains. He said, listen, this has created cravings in people. And there's a scripture in Proverbs, and I can't think of the reference, but it says that there are some things that never say like I'm finished, I'm done, like enough, I'm, I'm good. And he says, the, those, those different things are like, you know, the grave never says enough. The, uh, I think it was the barren woman never says enough. And then it is fire never says enough. These things, they never say, okay, I'm good, I'm satisfied. Because it doesn't matter how many logs you put on a fire, it's going to keep consuming. And it's good, never going to go, I'm good. Like, I'll just maintain right in this space. Like, this is my sweet spot right here. No, that fire is going to die down and you have to keep adding things to it. We understand this naturally, and it's the same thing when we begin feeding our flesh. It's the same thing when we get caught up and we get distracted. It's like things are never quite good enough. We don't live content at all because we buy into this messaging that is just force-fed to us over and over again that says, you have to have this in order to be happy. You have to have this in order to be successful. You have to have this in order to be in this group of people. You have to do this this way, this this way. And we go, yes, I do. And then we try and we claw and we fight and we climb and we strive. And we finally get that thing we thought we had to have to be happy and accepted by that group of people. And we're happy for a minute. And then we go, but it's still not good enough. Because there's always a newer model. There's always a newer fad. There's always a newer trend. There's always some new celebrity doing some stupid new thing that everybody thinks they have to do. There's some other time waster app that's going to be developed. There's always something new, and if you want to be in the cool crowd, you've got to know how to use it and how to operate it and how to be in the in crowd, so I've got to learn how to do it to be accepted. And I keep clawing and scraping, and I'm just caught in this cycle. And it's this craving, and it causes me to wander away from the, from the faith, and it causes me to actually inflict pain on myself that I did not want. But now I've chained myself to all these things I think I have to have. All of these relationships I think I have to have. All of these events I think I have to attend. 
All of these things that I think I have to be for other people. And church, can I tell you that it's a great distraction. It's a great distraction in our country. It's a great distraction in our day and age because there's so many things that are just shouting for your time, your talents, and your treasure that have nothing to do with eternity. There are so many things that are screaming and begging for your attention. Uh, just begging. So, the question that I want to leave us with today is what is your next move? With all of this information and inspiration and challenging and stirring that has happened through the Scripture today and through the Holy Spirit at work in your heart, whether you're someone sitting here in this room, whether you're someone sitting out in the commons, or whether you're someone watching online, with all of this that's happening in your heart right now, what is your next move? What are you going to do with that stirring? What is God stirring your heart to do as a radical follower of Jesus? What sacrifice is He calling you to make? Let me put it to you this way. What if God gives you more, whether it's time, talent, or resources, what if God gives you more, not so you can have more, but so you can give more? My wife and I have been asking ourselves this very question lately. There are a lot of things in front of us that require a lot of our time. There are a lot of things in front of us right now that require a lot of our resources, a lot of our abilities. And we have been asking ourselves, have we intentionally made room for more eternal things in our lives? Or are we so committed with our time, with our talent, with our resources that we have to continually keep saying no to things that matter more? And when we really are honest and answer that question, I can tell you today that we say, yeah, we may be overcommitted in some areas and we need to make some adjustments. And so we're actively in the process of making adjustments for our marriage, for our family, for the things we want to instill in our children, for the type of atmosphere and values we want them to grow up seeing now, not prioritizing those things after, to where, oh, you know, once the kids are out of the house, we're going to have all this time. After the kids get out of the house, we're going to have all... No. I've talked to people who are empty nesters. They're like, they come back. <laughs> I've talked to people who are actually retired who tell me that they're busier now than they've ever been. And that doesn't make sense to a guy like me, but I look at their lives and, in other words, what it tells me is that I can't wait to make the shift to prioritize eternity. Oh, are you hearing me this morning? I can't wait until this season of life is over to prioritize eternity. 
Oh, well, you know, our kids are little. Wait till they're older. Oh, well, you know, our kids are older. You know, wait till they're, till they're out of the house. Oh, the kids are out of the house now. Oh, oh, wait till, you know, this season of life is over. Wait till this thing is over. Or, or wait till I retire. That, that's when I'll prioritize eternity with my time, with my talent, my resources. And I keep putting it off because I keep putting me first. And I got to start saying no somewhere in there to me. If I want to say yes to what Jesus is putting on my heart to do, to be a radical follower, I've got to start saying no to me. Is it going to be uncomfortable? Oh, yeah. It's going to be real uncomfortable. And some of the conversations my wife and I are having, we don't like it because we think there are certain things we deserve. Because we've done this and done that. But at the end of the day, when I look at what I deserve, the only thing that I can see in Scripture that I deserve is hell. But I don't have to go there because Jesus paid the price. So why would I not, out of sheer joy, out of the overwhelming mercies of God, I, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Is this not your reasonable act of worship? Okay, since you put it that way, it makes sense, Jesus. What if we decided that we wanted to live so radically for Christ that earning $80,000 a year wouldn't require an $80,000 a year lifestyle? What if we put margin in, intentional margin in our lives to prioritize loving people and serving the world, not just with our money, but with our time, instead of focusing on what we think we deserve? If it were not for Jesus, we would be destined for an eternity separated from God. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Why would we not see such value in Him that we would say yes to Him being our Savior and yes to Him being our Lord, our Master, the one who gets to call the shots in my life? Because, folks, God did not consult you nor I when it came to His value system in the world. He didn't say, what do you think? No, our love for God should translate into intentional, intentional living, making generosity with our time, talent, and resources a priority. The stats that we read earlier when we started this message and the things Jesus told us to do in Matthew 25, how, in light of those things, how impactful could the church be if we lived radically on purpose for a bigger purpose than ourselves? How much greater of an impact could we make? What type of church would Word of Grace be if we all who call this church our home made that decision? All of us who are called to be a part of this local family, what if we all made that decision to not only just treat Jesus as another counselor, but actually treat Him as our Lord, to step up and say, yes, what are you requiring of me? What type of impact could you as an individual make if you saw the value of Christ and you lived radically in your neighborhood, if you lived radically at your workplace, if you lived radically following Jesus, and what if God gives you more 
Not so you can have more, but so you can give more. That sounds radical, or maybe it sounds biblical. It's your move, so let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this message and pray that you would stir us to action, whatever you're calling us to do. Whether it may be a prioritization of our time to where we need to live more intentionally with the way that we spend our time and not just heaping up for ourselves by spending our time the way that we think we deserve to spend our time, but the way you're calling us to spend our time. And the same with our abilities that you've given us and the resources that you've entrusted us with. Lord, let us live with eternity at the forefront and at the focus. Help us to live like we actually believe these things. And with the heart of God that loves what God loves and hates what God hates and is grieved over what grieves the Holy Spirit of God because we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. So help us, Lord, to see with fresh eyes, with fresh perspective, what our next move is. We thank you for showing us and helping us to move. In Jesus' name, amen.